Good morning, everyone. It's Office Hours live from Chicago. I've been in every single city, every single day, whether it's Indy, Kentucky, New York, Philly, and now Chicago. I feel like I'm Mick Jagger without the voice. Uh, anyway, you would think I was the one that was unbroken, but it's not. It's Michael unbroken with me. Thank you for joining me, my brother. Good morning, my friend. Honor to be here. Sorry, I can't be there in Chicago with you, but you know I'm trying to take care of myself and not be on another plane this week. So I'll yeah, see you well, soon. Yeah, well, there's a lot of planes in our future, so it there'll always be a plane waiting for you, uh, my friend. Thank you for joining us as well. So we've done a lot here since we were last together in many different cities and many different meetups, many different VIP dinners, many different speeches, many different interviews, and the list goes on and on. Uh, I know you're preparing uh, for uh, a retreat, a, a mastermind at Dan Fleischman's amazing facility out there with one of uh, my little mentees, the Super Sam Taggart and a Black Ops Unbroken. What are you going to, number one, talk about and what do you want to, number two, take away? Yeah, I, I think the the biggest thing is you know, whenever I do this, my goal and my mission is to connect with people with where they are. Um, you know, having been a public speaker now going on eight years, I think one of the mistakes I've made previously was always stepping into these things with an agenda, like this is what I'm talking about. And then realizing like, that's actually not as beneficial as, hey, I'm in the room. Uh, you you did a thing that I do frequently. We were at actually speaking of Sam Taggart's event and their thing is like, I knock doors. And I remember at one point you're on stage and you're like, I knock doors. I'm like, I don't know if Dave's ever knocked a door before or not, but I get what he's doing here, right? And so my thing is like connecting with people with where they are, because I think that's the most important thing in human connection. We have to remove our agenda and remember we're there to serve. And the thing that I hope to take away from that is just continuing to build the community, continuing to show people, even if they're in these private masterminds or on these amazing office hours calls with us or whatever it is, that just because their life is almost where they want it to be doesn't mean they can't get it to where they want it to be. And for me, that's that holds true because I'm looking at and measuring people where I'm trying to go. And so I'm looking to bring more motivation, inspiration and, and perspiration into my life while while being in those rooms with these incredible humans. Yeah, well, you're an incredible human. And I love to set a mindset of, look, <clears throat> it's where I think I want to be, but I'm happy where I'm at. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be at the right place at the perfect time uh, and allowing that detachment from outcomes and focus on the ferocious unbroken that you are by being productive, accessible, and gracious every single day. Well, we are so wrong uh, here on Office Hours, Michael, that we're right. And we have Courtney Wright to set us right. Uh, she's in the house. You know I'm a wordsmith, a poet. Don't you know it? Anyway, Courtney Wright's here, CEO, entrepreneur at Gemini Builds It. And uh, he has a Lady Boss podcast with Courtney Wright. And uh, welcome, first of all, to Office Hours Court. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been looking forward to this day and happy solstice to you. Um, happy solstice. Yeah, there's one you don't hear often. I, I'll celebrate anything celebratable. So keep I know them coming. I know you love celebrating and I've got to get better at that because I'm really good at achieving, but I don't always slow down to take the little wins. So um, learned a lot from watching you. I think we have a lot in common about uh, we had the same parents, the advice about, you know, getting married to the best spouse and sleeping 
and uh, all the things. I love it. Um, what I would be curious about is I am a killer salesperson. I have a ton of manufacturing companies and I've done very well with my companies. And now segueing to this podcast, I'm in a whole uncharted territory of marketing and I loved your 20 year goal. Um, I got to get a bigger goal. Um, how, give me some advice as to what are game changer moves you made on the internet to make your explosive growth? Well, I will tell you a few things. Number one, I probably am, although Michael Unbroken is trying to catch me at this, I'm probably the most consistent person in two realms, one in which everyone sees. So that which I publish publicly and promote publicly, I'm very consistent. Uh, I probably interact with a minimum of 12 people a day, uh, published and promoted, whether it's interviews, shows, TV shows, podcasts, whatever it may be. And so I personally, as you notated, the 20 year aggregation, acceleration and compounding of outcomes thinks that uh, think that that's an easy strategy incorporated into that is knowing my essence, right? You are a unique fingerprint, right? Michael, Unbroken, a unique fingerprint, uh, although his fingerprints broken. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Thanks, uh, you're welcome. Uh, it, but no, but in all seriousness, I think people don't take the time like investments, knowing their timing and risk tolerance in branding. They don't take the time to know the skills, knowledge and desire that they have. And you articulated your skills, knowledge and desire right off the bat. And now it's a matter of fighting your ego, not the ego of being better than, but the ego of being less than not good enough to promote and publish. Um, and so th that's number one. Now, here's the secret sauce that I've been talking about recently that I want to share with everyone. You got to have burner accounts. You got to have burner landing pages. You have to have burner Instagrams. You have to have burner LinkedIn's. You, you have to have burner accounts that you're publishing, not publicly, but you're publishing into the web, into web one, web two, and web three. Why? Because AI is an intelligent search engine. It not only will find everything on the web, but it will amalgamate, aggregate, compound your emotional perspective. So why is this important? As you can stay consistent in building the two ambassadors a year that turns to four to turns to two million, uh, you can become more efficient because now you can use AI to, to write books to say, hey, you know, write a book as if I'm Courtney Wright. You can tell your employees, Hey, write this email as if I'm Courtney Wright. Hey, uh, you know, create this interview, edit it as if I'm Courtney Wright. The only way that that is similar or a better starting point than Courtney Wright doing it herself is that you have to have an enormous amount of content up there that the unbelievable power of artificial intelligence can incorporate on the web. So uh, know your essence publicly promote and, and publish every single day as much as you can, your essence, and then uh, publish privately on burner accounts, your essence, so that the AI in the future will create an alignment with your essence so that zero to one for you, what takes other people six months to do will take you six minutes. Uh, that's my best piece of advice in building a brand. I'm going to hand it over to Michael Unbroken, who's in the midst of also incorporating a lot of these lessons and exponentially has built his brand 
in the short eight-week period uh, that I've been focusing in on that brand. He has way more speaking, coaching, and uh, audience community opportunity than, than he's ever had in the eight years of public speaking. Yeah, and I, I think so much of it, Dave, is about putting it out every single day. But Courtney, my friend, we're here for Office Hours for you and what you are doing with uh, with your brand new podcast and with uh, Gemini Builds. And so I would love, obviously, speaking of branding, this is the place, is the opportunity. Tell us about the podcast. Tell us about what you do. Tell us about the mission and the goal with Lady Boss with Courtney. Right. Thank you. Um, so I was getting calls every day from entrepreneurs about, Courtney, how would you do this? I've started, I've sold, I've bought companies and have been successful. And so one person would call, the next person would call, and I realized it was just a non-scalable effort. Uh, because I tell you one thing today and I tell Michael the next thing. And so I wanted to do as my sort of give back to all the uh, amazing gifts I've been given in my life, start a podcast to share entrepreneurs stories so that if I could shortcut the lessons that one entrepreneur had, all the things I've lost money on, I've failed on, I've done too slowly, then I would have felt like that would have been a great give back for the second half of my life. I had started it for a year. We've gotten some good traction. We've invested in some more teammates to go faster, build more content. Um, it's a lot harder for me to be out there in public than sitting behind my customer's desk working on sales. It's uh, I ha I'm just trying to get comfortable being as out there. I have the content. I have the ideas. I have the winning strategy. I just got to like bust out and feel comfortable being as out there as what it takes to be as successful as what uh, Dave is and Gary is and all the people are. And to that measure, right, I talk about practices and I have the five daily practices and I am a sports person. So I know how practice can affect our comfortability, not just our confidence, as well as our inspiration, as well as our intellect and even our intuition, all tied to how often we practice. Um, and, you know, I remember speaking in Sydney, Australia, first time ever in front of over 20,000 people. And my kids were with us. And my oldest said, Dad, you're not even nervous. And anyone that's seen me backstage, I usually piss off most of the other speakers because I'm more having fun and, and fooling around and not focused at all on what I'm about to speak about um, because I'm well rehearsed. And so I told my daughter, I said, you know what? Can you do me a favor? Can you come on stage with me? And I just want you to clap behind me and then walk off stage, right? I said, it'll be super cool and cute and good for my content anyway. And she's like, yeah. I go, well, you won't be nervous. There's 22,000 people here at Sydney Theater. She's like, no. I go, why aren't you nervous? She said, well, because I know how to clap, Dad. And right. And so I said, as confident and intuitive and intellectually uh, comfortable you are uh, and inspired, to clap, that's how I feel when I speak, it is clapping to me. And so my you know, thing is, why do you think someone like you, who's hyper successful in everything you do, would not be comfortable in showing who you are to help other people? What is it you think that the majority of the people I meet are just like you going, I wanna be like Gary and Dave, but I'm not comfortable yet doing so. What do you think it is uh, that makes you uncomfortable? Well, um, I, I wouldn't, I, I would just say it's a muscle that I haven't practiced as much. So um, I'm just, it's not, let me say, 
I love being uncomfortable. I think that's when I'm growing and learning. So I do know that that I'm in the right place. I'm not a railroad runner. Um, and I'm constantly blowing up my company, starting new companies, because that's what I do best. So I think the the absolute idea is that I can get good at this and I can, I've seen progression that I'm better interviewing. I'm better at asking for people to be on the show, better at doing stories. I just, um, you know, I mean, I, I want to look 20 years younger, 30 pounds thinner. There I we go. That's what I, that's what I was looking at because I will have to tell you, Gary and I, did, we were together last week in New York. We still do the same thing. Like it's, I don't know why every time I see myself, there's an initial cringe. <laughs> right. Oh, you're losing more hair. Oh, can you get rid of a little of the belly fat? Or, you know, I didn't know my head was so big compared to my body. Or, you know, like I, there are all kinds of funny things that you look at. And no matter how I think, and, and you see this in actresses and entertainers, that's the hardest part, I think. It's not even that you're not confident in what you're saying, it, it's no. more still our ego of what we look like, yeah. you know, or sound like. Right. Or, or, you know, it, it's incredible. And I don't care how big you are. I think you have to spend minutes and moments in that and, and get over it. And you bring up just an exceptional point for everyone. That's why I have people like with podcasts. I'm like, do 10 podcasts. Don't post them. Not only will you be in the top 1% of podcasts because most people quit before they get to 10, but at least you'll get uncomfortable uh, enough about I sound like shit. That was stupid. All the things that the little voice in your head you know, the major critic, the Siskel and Ebert, we're old enough to know who they are. You know, the Siskel and Ebert in your head, just like, you suck, you're yeah. ugly, you know, all the fun stuff that childhood brings back uh, to us. So I would say, you know, beyond practice, uh, it is an ego issue. And you, you know, really illustrated that for me because I'm, you know, looking at your bio, everything, I'm like, this is one badass woman, right? She's a lady boss. And it's someone I'd like my girls to be like, but yet you have the same insecurities as me that Tom and Ed and, and Gary and all the guys, Mike, I'm sure as well, Michael here, when he'd been speaking eight years, I'm sure, you know, he watches the video of him speaking and he's like, oh, you know, whatever it is that bothers him about himself uh, comes out immediately. He doesn't see how handsome he is or smart or, you know, he's looking at, you know, his flies undone. Oh, sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to tell. Well, I think it's a great point, David. And I think that what I can keep doing while I work on that is showing up for the entrepreneur who um, I know I'm getting all kind of feedback that these are things they hadn't heard of. I was fortunate enough to study this stuff like a game with my parents who were entrepreneurs. I married entrepreneurs. I am an entrepreneur. So I, I don't take for granted that I have a lot of the lessons just given to me and I want to share them so that if people can get better and do all their great stuff that I can keep showing up for while I work on, Hey, I'm not 30 anymore and 110 pounds. I love it. Well, you have paid the dummy tax. If you're feeling wrong, then look up Courtney, Wright. She'll set you right. Thanks for joining us. Join That's us again. Soon, Courtney, we appreciate all, Thanks, all of you. Coming to the meetup. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. I'll see you there. All right. <laughs> We're doing a meetup here in Chicago and collision in Toronto next week, as well as well as VIP dinner. So reach out David at dmelzer.com. All right. In the wings here, we have our on deck hitter. The double D is here. Dipti Desai, founder and CEO of Crystal, spelled C-R-S-T-L. Very clever, by the way. 
Welcome to Office Hours. Thanks, David. How are you? We got all these powerful women today making me feel right at home. So thanks for joining us and including uh, you and the, the leaders of the world. And you have built a very easy to use platform uh, regarding uh, trade with your retail distribution. I wanted to hear a little bit more about Crystal and uh, how we're providing a more efficient and effective way uh, to address the challenges uh, in retail. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Crystal has has built a, like you said, a very easy to use platform uh, to be used by primarily today brands of all sizes. And this can be, you know, a toothbrush company, a soda company, a mattress company. It, doesn't matter if it's a physical product any one of us uses in our daily lives, there's a good chance that they can use Crystal and they will need to use Crystal at some point. Um, why do they need to use something like us? Is because when they do sell products through retail, and you're in Chicago, you're in the heart of sort of a lot of the CPG action. Um, so, so when a lot of these brands start to expand into retail, call it Target, call it Walmart, um, and, and this includes the, uh, the, you know, the dot-com sites of these uh, retailers as well, or just large distributors, right, uh, for food and beverage and grocery and, and so on and so forth. Um, it turns out that these retailers have very specific business rules and supply chain requirements around being able to transact with them and, and being able to ship them the goods at their warehouse or being able to send it to the end customer, right? It, it is not... Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not so easy as placing an order on a website and the and the box just magically shows up. There's a there's more to it behind the scenes. And so all of this happens on a data standard uh, called electronic data interchange, which people often confuse for an old piece of technology. And uh, I will, you know, happily remind anyone that will listen that we don't view it as a piece of technology at all. We view it as a data standard, much like English is a pretty old language at this point, and we use it for business communication because for the most part, it standardizes business communication around the world. Um, similarly, we think that electronic data interchange is a data standard that standardizes business transactions. And so we've taken the data standard, built a very easy to use software application um, as, and APIs around it so that, again, uh, brands of all sizes can peacefully um, transact with all their big customers, like the ones I mentioned earlier. When when you're going when you're when people are using this and you have some of these larger, um, whether it be e-commerce companies or mom and pop shops getting into retail, like what are the major problems you're solving? As somebody who has a retail company, I've ran into so many supply chain issues, so many like oh we didn't cross that I and dot that T over here and blah blah blah. So if you if you really broke it down, what is the biggest problem that you're solving? Yeah, the the biggest and. Uh, you know, we, we believe in sort of focus and, and ruthless prioritization uh, like like no one else at, at Crystal. And so really the the core problem that we are maniacally focused on solving for for the customer is to ensure that the very specific workflow, which typically gets triggered when called this toothbrush company gets a purchase order from, say, Target, um, there is a half a dozen or so um, set of steps that that get triggered that have very specific um, business rules around them as defined by the retailer so we are maniacally focused on ensuring that they get those steps correct every single time 
happy to double click on what those steps are, but at a very high level, basically once Target, for example, sends a purchase order to, for example, the toothbrush company, so there's a series of back and forth communication and there is rules around those uh, pieces of communication. And that's what we uh, ensure is compliant, is easy to understand because a lot of our customers, in fact, I would say most of our customers and, and our ideal customer profile are operations, right, folks, business users. Uh, they're not supposed to understand all these complicated protocols. And so we make it super easy for them. And Dipti, um, you know, I love underdogs. My favorite movie is Rocky. When I hit rock bottom, uh, lost, went over $100 million, went bankrupt. It, it was literally Rocky that got me back up uh, watching it on TV. I get choked up thinking about that moment in my life. Um, I'm on a mission to empower over a billion people on earth to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. One of the biggest challenges that I have in my perspective of what I do by empowering entrepreneurs is the biggest disadvantage that I see in the world of entrepreneurship is that now, and I'm maybe a percent off, but I believe that this year less than 2% of women and people of color uh, get funding. Mm -hmm. uh, although 73% of our country is women and people of color, but yet less than 2% get funded. And I'm a money guy. I, I, I'm very spiritual and very abundant, but money's an energy to me. And if we don't give energy to entrepreneurs, meaning money, it's very, 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 very difficult to be successful as an entrepreneur without that energy. You have beat all odds. You're the Rocky of funding. Uh, you're able to raise millions of dollars. And so I'd love for you to share your perspective on how you overcame those odds because over 98% of the people that look like you and are you can't overcome those odds. Are there some tips that you can give or mindset tools that can help other people like you uh, to help them get the energy they need to be as successful as you? Yeah, appreciate the question. And honestly, as you know, the markets have turned in the last 18 months, I suspect that that percentage might be even lower when we look back in a couple years. Um, so, so certainly keeping keeping my eyes peeled for what those what those trends look like. Nonetheless, um, I, I don't. So, so, so in terms of some tips, I, I I think in general, I'll caveat by saying is what worked for one person may not work may not work for someone else, right? Um, and so, uh, because there, there's just too many factors outside of anyone's control. And I think it's important to remember that, right? Like th th that there are just tremendous factors that one cannot control. Um, but I think therefore you start by focusing on what you can control. So so in terms of what worked well for me were a few things in, in no particular order. Um, I was very lucky to get my start as a, uh, you know, engineer in Silicon Valley, right? I spent 16 years um, uh, living there, you know, learning from the best, um, highs, lows, all of that. And there's truly no substitute for, uh, I think, for experience and for just, you know, going through the going through the pain and just going through the joys of, you know, helping others build a company and sort of learning, learning from that, right? And I was also lucky that I sort of 
found this niche where, you know, things I was good at, things were things that were in demand and things that helped you make a good living, right? I sort of found my niche in building data products, data software products. And, and that was useful because that meant I had a relevant skill set, but I also um, was very sort of sort of to your previous point about ego, David, is I think I was very egoless in, in learning all of that because none of those things were things I learned in school, right? Um, all of so much of that happened, the technology shifts and so on happened afterwards. And so just keeping a maniacal focus on constantly learning, because I think the technology business in particular is unforgiving and the rate of change and the pace of change is tremendous. And so you have to be putting in the work every single day, just learning. Um, I think lastly, I think, I think it's super important to surround yourself with, with good people. Uh, I think the only reason I've been able to even just until this point survive as a solo founder is because I have an incredible community of ex-bosses, ex-colleagues, other founders who are at my stage or maybe a few steps ahead. Um, and I think you learn from other people's mistakes. You just learn from watching other people be very, very good at their game. And that keeps you inspired and focused. So I think, um, you know, put in the work, surround yourself with good people and uh, don't, don't focus on the outcome just, just focus on, on, on the journey. Mm. Very well said. I absolutely love that. And I, I think people are everything, you know, Dave always talks about, um, you know, not paying the dummy tax. And when I get to be in his presence, I get to save myself a hundred million dollar mistake every single day by learning from him. Right. And, and I think that's one of the things that solo founders, um, often our ego can get in the way of being like, I know I can do this. I can figure this out on my own. And then you end up in this place where actually, if you would have just said, Hey, I need help. I need guidance. I need assistance. I need coaching. I need someone to just read this line of code and tell me whether or not it's going to disrupt the whole system and break down the whole project we've been working on for six months. Maybe you'd be more successful. And so I'm, I'm really curious, especially now, as you have found success, you've worked for major companies, some of the biggest innovators and, and change maker companies in the world. How do you find, how do you leverage this community? Because I think this is the place where solopreneurs miss the boat constantly. I'm guilty of it. I paid this dummy tax. I no longer do, hopefully never will again. But how do you, how do you leverage your community to actually help you grow? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's like... I view it as any other relationship, right? Or, or really, even if it means your relationship with your house plants, or if you have a little fish tank at home, I mean, it's like anything else, it takes care, it takes nurturing, it takes intentionality. Um, and I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm particularly social, but I do enjoy, um, you know, keeping in touch with people, being curious about what they're up to, being useful to them when when you know whether they've asked uh, you know for it or not i think people will uh, uh yeah uh, to a fault i think i might just be like oh wait this is like have you thought about x and you know no one no one asked for my opinion but I, I i might just throw it out there right so um so i think it's it's really just you have to make time for it um whether you know we have for example some whatsapp groups that are really useful especially as people are now you know, spread all over the world and we don't see them nearly as much in real life. But that's a great way for us to for me to keep in touch uh, in my business in particular. Twitter has been an incredible resource. I have found angel investors through uh, Twitter. And, and these are, you know, really good people that you would want on your cap table, not, you know, the very high quality people. Um, and you basically have to meet people where they are. Right. Like that's what it comes down to. Everyone is uh, very busy and, and but also people are usually well-meaning and and you just have to ask because everyone has a lot of things going on they're not going to think to prioritize you and 
that's not because you and your needs may not matter to them. It's just they wouldn't think to to ask you, right? And so you just have to, and and likewise, know that they might be either afraid to ask or not know how to ask. And so sometimes it's okay to just say, hey, just an idea here, just floating it by. Would it be useful if I introduce you to X, um, right? So That's my favorite. You hit so many of my favorites, but, you know, would it help you if is one of my favorite things to train people uh, because you can't get to would it help you if unless you're more interested than interesting and curious about where people are at and what they like and what they don't like in order to determine would it help you if I introduced you or provided you or automated all your workflows with EDI, whatever you're doing, we have to be more interested than interesting. And there's no doubt in my mind uh, through that consistent, persistent pursuit, why you have been so successful and have beat the odds as a super underdog, double D, dip D, Desai. Thank you so much. You have to come on more of our shows and empower more of our entrepreneurs on sticking to it and doing their best and learning lessons along the way. Founder and CEO of Crystal, C-R-S-T-L, crystal.so. Reach out. Uh, She is full of wisdom and has a great platform uh, to allow us to the ease to trade your retail distribution network with them. Thank you so much, Dipti. Please come back and join us. Thank you, David. We'll do it. Thanks. Great job. Great, great advice. Great insight. And Absolutely. Uh, where Luca kicked her off right away. That's good. All right. I feel bad for our next guest. Uh, he probably wasn't here to see the super Wonder Women that we've had. So it's uh, always a little bit more difficult when you have two superpowers to come on last. But I've seen a lot of guys kill it and knock it out of the park. And I'm hoping <laughs> Asher Weiss will do the same, CEO and co-founder of Tixology. Uh, and Tixology is T-I-X-O. L-O-G-I.com. Welcome to Office Hours, my friend. Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you so much. And look, you're launching uh, something really cool, actually, a new self-serve ticketing product. And uh, obviously, I've been in the ticketing space for a long time and still am, by the way. Uh, One of my most challenging things um, is with ticketing is that people think tickets are free especially your family and friends. Hey, Dave, can you, you know, give me a badge of the master. Can you give me a ticket to the Super Bowl? Yes, I can get you a ticket to the Super Bowl, but it is an asset. It is a commodity, right? If I don't give it to you, I can use technology uh, now to make money. So would you like me to give you $10,000? Because that's what you're asking me for when you ask me for a Super Bowl ticket. And it drives me nuts. Uh, But it's really changed now because a lot of, the interference, as I called it, within the secondary market of tickets uh, are really resolved with blockchain. But I think the events and the talent are really going to benefit uh, in the secondary market with blockchain uh, because of the chain of ownership, uh, because of the fractionalization, all types of different capabilities that blockchain has. Um, How has Tixology taken advantage of blockchain in order to reinvent, reinvigorate the secondary ticket market. Yeah, no, it's, 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 a, great, 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's the first thing I'll mention is, is we actually facilitate both primary and secondary ticket sales. Um, but you hit you hit the nail right on the head, David. Like there's a lot of frustration on both like the venue team, you know, event producer side and also the fan side and, and obviously the artist as well, right? So the only people happy right now are the ticketing providers. Um, and so, you know, we decided to to kind of do something about that. So you know, I, I come from before this, I was, I was in the NBA for the first kind of four years of my career, um, spent some time with the Warriors and with the Orlando Magic before that, um, you know, and just continued to see frustration and all these pain points that were just kind of accepted as the norm, but didn't really have to be that way. And so, you know, as I learned more about blockchain technology, I became a big believer, not just in, you know, kind of the collectible fun aspect of it, but also the true benefits behind the tech and the ability, you know, to solve a lot of the pain points that exist today in the ticketing industry uh, using the tech, right? So things like losing track of the ticket after that primary sale, um, you know, a rogue secondary market where the artist or venue is not taking a cut of those sales, um, you know, inaccurate data on who's actually coming to the venue, um, all kinds of things like that are, you know, really, really challenging for the venues and event producers today. Um, so using the blockchain tech and what we do is we kind of abstract the tech, right? So no one, you know, needs to have any pre-existing knowledge in the space, um, but we can help them kind of combat a lot of those pain points in the industry today. Asher, one of the things like as a, a fan of events, um, recently I had the, the pleasure of going to game five of the Stanley Cup here in Las Vegas. And as the ticket was in my virtual um, app account with a company we won't name right now, I the whole time until the moment it scanned, I was terrified that it was going to get ripped off. Right. And so looking at this technology, understanding the blockchain, chain of supply, command, um, ownership, all of those things that come along with it. What I'm curious is from from a fan's perspective, like that amount of anxiety, dude, I'm like, oh, my God, this is it, do I change my password? Should I just turn my phone off all day? Like, what are the securities and protections that are going to be in place through Tixology uh, yeah. for the customer? No, for sure. And, and, you know, I think we've all had those experiences at this point. Like I remember I was living down in Orlando and I'm originally from Toronto and the, the Leafs came down to, to Tampa to play and a buddy, buddy flew in for the game and we bought our tickets on the secondary market and we showed up and someone had already scanned them in. Right. So having that, you know, experience really sucks, especially with all that planning. But, you know, with what we've built, we have a few different layers. I mean, the, the blockchain layer itself is obviously huge and, and you know, knowing that we we have accurate data on who holds and owns the ticket at any point in time, um, so you know, there's no way to for for you to copy the ticket or duplicate the ticket. So you know, in addition to the blockchain piece, though, we also use like a rotating QR code technology, and so uh, every 30 seconds that ticket changes. So you know, unless you're screenshotting and entering with the screenshot within 30 seconds, um, you can you know, as a as a fan, you can feel confident that the ticket you're buying um, is real and is going to get you in the door. Um, the only other piece I'll mention there is like, we're very focused on, you know, this kind of like white label ticketing experience. So allowing, um, you know, the, the customers we work with to fully control and customize that experience from start to finish, um, you know, and, and who, who would you trust more than the actual event producer or the team that you're going to see, right? So, get, you know, putting them in control of that experience and allowing them uh, to give the fan peace of mind, because not only are they selling the tickets directly on their site, the tickets are all secured by blockchain. And, you know, given the rotating QR, there's there's no way to duplicate them. So, uh, yeah, a few different things there. <laughs> now, you know, money drives business and uh, 
this business makes billions of dollars, if not tip, tipping on trillions now. Um, but more importantly, uh, there's new revenue streams that are created. And you're looking at someone that has, you know, a great uh, lanyard collection. I have a great ticket collection, which nobody will ever duplicate again because you can't get tickets. Uh, but there's a new age of collectibles beyond lanyards and tickets today that provide an amplified experience beyond a collectible that represents the event that you went to, uh, whether it be tailgates, VIP dinners, meet and greets, a variety of accessible things. Uh, Tixology uh, is definitely noted for being able to provide new revenue sources from producers and talent and venues that have never been seen or utilized before. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and we're actually like, we're big believers that the ticket is almost a new communication channel, right? We have the traditional channels of email and text, you know, and things like social media, but you know, in our case, the ticket itself is valuable real estate. And it's something that, you know, is currently not being used today. Right. It's, you know, disappeared in this shift to digital ticketing. Um, but what we do is we allow our event producers and venues to fully customize the look and feel of their ticket. So you can put whatever you want on it, right? It could be, it could just be visual and artistic, or it could, you know, be marketing offers. It could be, it could be, you know, brand sponsors, partners, um, all integrated into the actual ticket itself, um, you know, providing a, an additional way there to engage with the fans. Uh, and then taking it a step further as we look into the future, um, you know, allowing allowing you know that ticket to even be interactive and clickable and create that seamless experience in one place that allows the fan to not only benefit from the collectible aspect of it and you know being at a historic game and getting to keep that ticket forever, um, but also the potential benefits they may have by holding the ticket. Right, the team or the venue can now surface offers for upcoming events. They can reward fans for their loyalty and coming to you know, some of those games that are always hard to sell for the teams, right? There's, there's a whole bunch of possibilities there. Um, but you're exactly right. It's, 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 you know, not only bringing the collectible aspect back of the ticket stub, um, but supercharging it to a point where there's even more value for the, for the fans uh, who are holding the tickets. Yeah. I love that concept. And, and as Dave, I, I used to have these posters filled with tickets um, that I had on my wall and in, in, in my game room. And now, obviously, now all digital, you couldn't get a ticket if you a physical ticket if you wanted to. So I love the idea of the uniqueness that comes along with that and probably the individualized fan experience. One of the things, though, Asher, that probably brings pause to me is wondering about the overhead and the expense of this being passed down to the consumer level. We see price gouging right now and ticketing at all time. It's ab absolutely incredible what you see sometimes or this idea. Uh, this literally just happened to me. I was buying a ticket the other day, get to the checkout. There was $112 of fees on a $200 ticket. Wow. And so what I'm, what I'm, I did not buy this ticket just out of my, I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm doing that. So how, how do you, what is the space that you're creating around knowing that there's this huge overhead to have this technology, but then not passing, if any, maybe necessarily all of those expenses down to the customer level? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the reality of it is like, it doesn't have to be more expensive to be better. And I think like, that's something we're challenging today. Like there's, you know, as you guys have seen, I'm sure like there's a whole bunch of fees, you know, shoved on the back end that no one really even understands or knows what they're for. Um, and, and, you know, there's a big push even in the last couple of weeks here, right. For the bigger players in the space to go to an all in pricing model, um, you know, just a small drop in the bucket of what I think needs to happen in the ticketing industry for it to be a, you know, better place for the fans and, and the venues, but, um, you know, definitely a move in the right direction. So on our end right now, you know, we're focused on, on transparency around our pricing, you know, with the venues and event producers we work with as well, right? Them knowing exactly what we're taking on the tickets. That's another thing that's shockingly not transparent is the is the venues and teams not exactly ever really knowing how much the ticketing provider is taking home at the end of the day, um, at least, you know, on the surface. Um, so it starts there, but then trickling down to the fan, you know, providing competitive pricing in the space where, you know, we can we can still survive and create incredible tech as a company. Um, but, you know, the fans don't have to be, be gouged at the end of the day. So a few different things there. The other thing I will say, which is kind of along a similar topic, is I'm excited about, you know, this kind of additional control over the secondary market because I, it actually benefits the fans, in my opinion, more than anyone. Um, you know, if teams and venues can kind of set what percentage they want to take on secondary sales or even limit how, how high tickets can be priced, for example, um, you know, those are all things that are now possible with, with our software and with blockchain technology. So, you know, the, it, you know, thinking of a world where, you know, a hundred dollar ticket, the venue maybe takes 5% of the secondary sale. Um, but you know, hundred to 300, they take 10%, right? So discouraging scalpers, um, and other, you know, buyers who are buying in mass and reselling, um, from, from reselling at exorbitant prices. So, you know, a few different things there, but, um, you know, we, we strongly believe that, that you can get more for less in, in our case. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's proven in other industries, how, suitable the platform is with blockchain to ticketing and experiential revenues. And one thing that's for sure, Asher and Michael, is that the trend is moving to value live. Uh, whether you're speaking around the world, uh, you can see it with Taylor Swift's uh, six concerts at SoFi, uh, the people, and it's not just a COVID reaction. It's an artificial entertainment reaction that uh, yes, those 62, 62 to 102 inch TVs that we can now afford uh, in our living rooms uh, carry everything except for one thing, the energy of being live. And people are starting to value that energy more than just witnessing uh, the content, uh, no matter how big and immersive uh, the technology is. Nothing yeah. is as big and as immersive uh, as sitting in SoFi Stadium watching the Rolling Stones or Taylor Swift or the Los Angeles Chargers, the future uh, world champions uh, someday soon, I hope. Anyway, uh, Asher Weiss, you did it. You knocked it out of the park. We know we had two great leadoff hitters, the Wonder Women. They held nothing <laughs> to our friend as well. A.W. here. Uh, he's here, Asher Weiss. Check out Tixology. If you are a fan, check out Tixology.com. T-I-X-O-L-O-G-I.com. Come back and join us. We'll be utilizing it. Mike and I are big consumers when it comes to tickets and the secondary market, obviously, as well. And I'm tired of uh, getting less for more. So thanks for providing more for less. For sure. Thanks so much, guys. And definitely check us out. We're, uh, we're live today, so you can go and sign up right now. Awesome. awesome. I will thanks be so signing up.
Thank you. Yeah. I encourage yeah. everyone else to do so as well. Thank you for joining us, Asher. Uh, we have the double D here. She's incredible. Dipti Desai, and we let off with Courtney Wright. Uh, her name says it all. Uh, now, speaking of names saying it all, Michael Unbroken, his name says it all. What's your takeaway for the day? Man, you know, it was funny because I we talk about this all the time, but I felt this so strongly today, not just with Courtney, but Dipti and Asher, all of them individually and their businesses and their endeavors as a whole had one thing I felt very in common. And that was that they are more interested than interesting in their problem solving and who they are and what they're trying to do. And just such a powerful reminder, like that really is the cornerstone, right? To community, to connection, to building something out, to going to the next level is like really solving problems that other people want solved, not the problem that you think they want solved. I love it. And, uh, my takeaway is one that uh, I know you and I have uh, talked about as well a lot. And I know I want to give a shout out to Mike Diamond, who's saving lives and couldn't be here. He's a first responder when it comes to recovery. Uh, so he could not be here. Uh, but it's a conversation that him and I talk about. You can never overachieve your own self-image. And we mm -hmm. saw people uh, that are hyper successful. Courtney Wright, the Double D, Dipti Desai, and of course... Asher Weiss, uh, thinking big. And as big as they're thinking, I really want to encourage them to think even bigger because you can never overachieve your own self-image. And we live in an infinite world. So as big as you can think, just plus one it. I know there's a ton of books out there. My friend Ed Milet wrote one about one more. All they're writing about is abundant and infinite uh, beliefs uh, and feelings. And I want everyone to believe and feel how big they are and how big they can become. Uh, like Michael Unbroken. He is big and he's going to be bigger and better. Thanks for joining me, my friend. I hope you feel better. I know no, it you, was a little bit of a struggle to be here, but you did well. No coughs into the system. That was impressive. Uh, and I will see you soon. All right, my friend. Take care of yourself. You too. Feel better. Awesome people. All right. I'm in Chicago. We got a meetup today. Come and join us today here. Uh, I think the meetup's tomorrow, actually, at the Drake Hotel. So Meet me tomorrow at the Drake Hotel. We got a VIP dinner uh, tonight uh, at the White Sox game. Come join us at 5 o'clock. We'll be down on the field doing a whole bunch of fun stuff. Email me, david at dmeltzer.com if you want to meet up there. Next week, we're going to Collision. If you want to come to Collision with us, join us for Talk About Experiences, our VIP dinner. Got tickets for you to come to Collision. Look up. It's a great value. It's the biggest tech conference in Canada one of the biggest ones around the world. We'll be doing meetups, masterminds, mentor hours, uh, VIP dinners, speeches. It goes interviews. It goes on and on and on. You just got to be there. You got to email me if you want to join us in Canada, david at dmeltzer.com. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to be right into two-minute drill, everybody. That's right. We'll be traveling the world, coming back. Hopefully, Michael Unbroken will be better by then. He'll be joining us. In Orange County, I don't know, as a spotlight, a host, for sure at the dinners. We'll see that kid somewhere soon. Everybody, email me, david at dmeltzer.com. We're of service and of value. That is our mission. We're here every single day. Uh, remember, most importantly, as Michael suggests, be more interested than interesting. Most importantly to me, be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. See you soon.